Yo, yo, yo. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I am one of the three. I am the uh, lower right side of the triangle um, of this show. Uh, I am Jacques Slade. We want to thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate all the feedback. Um, I never expected this show to be as good as it is. Um, especially with the feedback that we're getting from you guys. You guys have been absolutely amazing the way you guys are talking back to us, the way you guys are letting us know uh, how much you enjoy the show. We really, really appreciate it. Again, I am Jacques Slade. You can find me at K-U-S-T-O-O all over the internet. But this show would not be what it is by myself. I have two amazing, amazing hosts with me. Uh, Super smart, super intelligent. And if I'm going to be honest, just really beautiful people. Uh, I mean, let's just put it out there. The beautiful both inside and out. Um, if no one's ever told you guys that, I want to be the first to tell you. You're beautiful both inside and out. And we're going to start with my good buddy, Nick. Tell them about yourself and where they can find you. Uh, Nick Engvall. I've been working in the sneaker, year, sneaker business for uh, a little over 10 years. Um, complex Soul Collector magazine way back in the day. Uh, East Bay, Finish Line, StockX, all over the place. But uh, I'm really just the, the lower left of the triangle, and we're, we're basically both here to focus on the top of the triangle, which is Tiffany. Apparently, I'm the top of the triangle, unless it's inverted. I don't know. Uh, Tiffany Beers, uh, I spent um, 13 years at Nike and a couple years at Rubbermaid. Uh, at Nike, I worked on the HyperAdapt. And the Nike Mag, I helped invent auto lacing and have tons of patents. Wow. Wow. <laughs> tons wow. of tons of patents. Jacques, like yeah. I mean how do we even I don't even know what to say. Patents yeah. in footwear. I have <sighs> Okay. Okay, guy. If you're listening to this show. Um <laughs> I, like, like like I, I mess around a lot on this show, uh, just because I really like these two people that I have uh, here hosting the show with me, and I and I jest a lot. I make a lot of jokes, but let's be serious right now. Um, two people on this show like sneakers a lot, and one of them has a ton of patents. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there. So whenever you hear two of these three talking, you should probably ignore. Uh, most of it, and then when the third talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean in the direction of the one with the patents. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, that's the one you should probably listen to. Anyway, uh, this show is brought to you by Race Lacers, the official competitive race lacing league of America. They are doing big things now. If you guys have been following along with us, uh, they are the sponsors for this show. Dylan hit us up last week and let us know that they are the league of America now. And nothing could be more American than lacing your shoes. At least that's what I'm told to read. Anyway, all right. Let's move on to the first topic of the show today. And so uh, last week, there was news coming out of Finish Line, or I guess maybe coming out of JD Sports, that the two companies have officially merged and are one now. And in this situation, it seems that JD Sports is actually taking over Finish Line. Um, And what that's going to end up doing to Finish Line here in the U.S. is still open. We don't know if they're going to change to JD Sports or they're going to be jd's finished or finish line sports or whatever the the new title for the stores are going to be if they'll change at all but this is something i think is pretty significant in the sneaker world and the sneaker market just because 
it presents a new situation, I think, for Finish Line. Finish Line is, um, if we're all going to be honest here, a bit of the underdog when it comes to the sneaker world here in the U.S. Foot Locker does, is the main guy. They, Foot Locker is the pretty girl at school. They are the football player. Um, and Finish Line has been a, a second place in that in that regard but with jd sports i think a lot of that can change now nick i know you have a bit more experience in this world than i do so i'm going to kind of lean on you and like what do you what is what does this mean for finish line and what does this mean to the overall retail landscape i mean i think i think it's exciting for finish line i you know spent a couple of years there um you know like managing the digital content um you know a few years back and i think that you know the the challenge with finish line like you said they are kind of the underdog in the US like the mall space specifically and part of that is because they're very they've always been focused on running shoes right and you know like we talked about on the last podcast episode about basketball shoes being kind of in a slump like finish line has an opportunity to to like you know really elevate themselves with this you know, kind of lifestyle uh, branding because JD comes from that specifically. Like their bread and butter is, you know, the the the, the more like um, I guess athleisure would be the technical term, but the more like I would even say the more hype kind of limited releases. They're really good at securing like specific colorways for their stores, where that's mm. kind of always been a challenge for Finish Line to not necessarily to get those right, you know, the colorways, but to get them at the right time of the trend. And hopefully this gives them a little bit more opportunity to do that. I also think that, like you said about Foot Locker being kind of the, the, the um, big dog on the block with the retailers, it's, it, it, it definitely will make people at Foot Locker pay attention. You know, like part of um, the challenge with retail declining on its own anyway is you know you're going to see a lot more of these kind of oh like we're going to you know become the wholly own you know subsidiary of JD Sports or whomever that is and i think that you know those partnerships just further cut costs and potentially make you know something like finish line a little bit more valuable to the consumers but also to you know adds more opportunity for the investors of like JD Sports so yeah. Tiffany, do you get to follow, I guess, as a designer, do you follow the retail landscape as much? Um, a little bit, definitely. Um, I, but I'm more interested in it because of the consumers, you know, and understanding um, what they have, how they access the product and, and how it's um, portrayed in the stores and how it's sold and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's always it's always interesting to me, the, the, the retail landscape and how it's changing, especially with consumer behavior. I feel like consumers are the, like the behavior of how we shop and how we do things are, are definitely changing, which has opened up the world, I think, for these retailers. And if they approach it the right way, I think they can make it an experience, which kind of kind of leads me. Yeah, let's say it kind of leads into like the, the store in the store sort of concepts. We've seen this a lot more and happening a lot more, especially with the retailers where a brand will basically establish themselves inside of a retail store and almost kind of create their own store inside of a shoe store. Um, I have a little bit of a mixed thoughts about this, but um, 
I, I think it, I think it helps the consumer obviously identify the content. I mean, the, the you know the content that they have in the store and the product that they have in the store. Um, but it's almost it's almost like they're I don't know the, it's 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 a little bit overbearing I guess for me. Like I I, I go to a shoe store because I want to see like that variety, and if I wanted like just your specific product, I would go just to your store i guess i don't know am i am i looking at this the wrong way no definitely i think that that's that's one of the interesting things and and you know i think that's where i think finish line has always been a little bit challenged compared to footlocker because footlocker can can work with you know let's say nike or jordan brand and say look we're gonna do this you know and just so everybody knows footlocker owns you know foot action uh champ sporting goods uh east bay 602 um Really? They own all those? Holy cow. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. So yeah. so Foot Locker is a is a, you know, like they're playing this game Monopoly. on a massive level. Yeah. Um and very close to it here in the United States, I would say. There there is a lot of competition in regions, like regionally like Shoe Palace in California is very very strong. Like they create an experience for their consumers. Their stores are absolutely gorgeous every time you go into them. Um and it, and it's they they stand out in the design of their sh- in the design of their retail space compared to a Foot Locker. The thing that the where Finish Line was always challenged, in my opinion, is standing out. You know, like Foot Locker, everybody knows Foot Locker because of either the striped jerseys or the House of Hoops brand. You know, like there's there's ways for people to know that even though I'm in here looking at this, you know, say Puma section or Adidas section, I know that it's Foot Locker. And with Finish Line, it was always a challenge to have that, you know, kind of branding. And like you said, Jacques, with with the trend going towards these kind of store within store build outs, it becomes even harder for Finish Line as a brand to have this like connection with consumers because the consumer might come into that space, but then they're pulled into an experience that's with the brand rather than with the retailer. So I think that JD is better about keeping their branding but it would also be challenging for them to keep their branding here in the states or you know depending on what they choose to do with like the finish line name um you know how they keep those things either separate or together and how they grow from that so i think it's i i don't care for the store and store based based on just thinking about a little bit more now but the store and store brands because I guess from from product from being in product and making product like those stores get like 50% they make like 50% profit on the product right if you look at just Mm -hmm. straightforward like so don't use my not my but don't use a brand to make the experience versus creating your own experience like I think finish line and Foot Locker for, for me particularly I grew up in Pennsylvania small town of Pennsylvania finish line was the store that I remember the sports store that was nearby. And like a lot of times those stores are the first entry point for young kids into sport. Like you want to play right. baseball, softball, basketball, whatever. Your parents are going to take you to whatever's closest sporting store. And it's either a finish line or footlocker in most cases. Um, yeah. And pick out your shoe like that for each of those kids should be such an amazing experience and you'll just build brand loyalty. And so I don't know that like, okay, so you're going to come into my finish line or my footlocker, but you're actually in house of hoops. Like, like it's just confusing for me. I think it, I think it just confuses the consumers more. 
I would agree. I think I think that's also kind of like to the point of like you know the way that the business has grown. You know, I think Foot Locker latched onto basketball at the right time. Finish line was very strong in running. You know, way back in the day, Um, and I think that the trend, uh, you know, them Foot Locker, you know, kind of attaching to basketball through, you know, the I would say late '90s. To, to now, right? There's, there's still like, that's who you think of with basketball. And I think that both of the companies don't recognize what you just said about how this is your first, like kind of, because consumerism is such a big thing in the States, your first experience with sports in general typically comes from a, a, a buying or like a store experience rather than, you know, go like, yeah, you go out and play in the street and stuff, but like, then you're like, well, I want to be LeBron or I want to be Michael Jordan. And like, I'm at the store going, oh, that's the guy on the wall. That's who I want to be kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think that I, I agree. Like, I don't necessarily like the store in store type thing. Um, it kind of like I actually got a little bit fooled. Um, you know, I recently moved to L.A. and was over at one of the stores that I thought was an Adidas store. Just, you know, I drove past it casually, saw the Adidas sign and went in and then I realized that it was actually just like a connected store to a shoe palace location which was kind of interesting um, and then of course mm-hmm. there's the actual Adidas store you know half mile down the street so I think it is a little That's misleading interesting. like the, yeah. the other thing get, is like, like they have access to all the brands I mean most of all the brands like what an opportunity and like this is totally like what I'm trying to figure out on my YouTube channel right now by reviewing all the different shoes like what an opportunity to really let consumers know which product would be best for you with some like technical information. Like like I yeah. expect to walk into a finish line and they know the difference between boost and energy. And the last couple times I walked into the store, they were they were sneaker heads that were just like trying to find out what shoes I had on and where I got them. And it was just like the worst experience. So it's like they have opportunities that individual brands don't have, but I don't think they take advantage of it. Yeah. I, and that, that kind of leads me to the point where I think, I think instead of like brand experiences, they should be focusing on a store experience. And I think that, you know, a lot of times, I don't know if it's just because that's where the money is coming from. The brands are saying like, Hey, set us up here and we'll give you X, X amount of dollars. But I would rather the store create an experience for the consumer as opposed to the store creating an experience for the brand inside of their store, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I would agree, too. And I think that's kind of the, the flaw in what the sneaker business has become, right? Like, it really is more about, like, the brand saying, oh, we want our story, this specific story told in this location, in this experience, in you know, and that's why you see a lot of stuff that happens, you know, I mean, you always want to be in big markets when you do stuff because you're going to get more exposure, but like that localized piece is missing in so many places, which inevitably I think hurts the creativity of everyone involved everywhere in the business. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to tell that, that story on a, like on a localized basis. Like I feel, feel like, Brands have these big overarching stories that they want to tell, whether it's the story of React. But how does that React, React story play in L.A. 
versus how it plays in Houston, Texas, yeah. versus how it plays in New York, versus how it plays in Utah. In California, obviously, it's a great way to – it's a running story because, you know, everybody wants to be healthy and run. And, you know, in L.A., it's about healthy lifestyle. But in somewhere, you know, say Houston, where – that's not as big of a part of the culture you know maybe it's a lifestyle play but that same story seems to be homogenized across across regions and instead of really like detailing that story out in a localized way brands or retailers in this instance are telling that story the same way all over but and they who am I? maybe that's why i don't work in marketing <laughs> they totally could localize it too right because every sport like talk about your state championship basketball team talk about your these running stories of these individual athletes like that the, the local stories especially at the local store of a national brand i mean how many like jacques if 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 uh, your local finish line did a story about you running you ran that marathon with the element or the uh, react, right? Or something like that. Some right. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. How many of your family and friends are you bringing in that store to show them? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's if, a totally different story. If you're in team sports, your whole school is going to check that out. Right. Because then it means yeah. other people get an opportunity. It's like sport is about community. Like there's no sport that's not about community and they should focus on that. Cause I will sell product. I'm not in marketing. I've yeah. never been in marketing or retail, so this could be total crap. But No, no, I, I would agree. And I, I think the challenge, <laughs> you know, my experience, the challenge in doing things at a local level is that you have people guiding that and leadership that doesn't, that isn't really the consumer of the product at that level, right? Like, um, you know, using the example of Jacques running the marathon in New York, um, in New York, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like that's a great opportunity for anybody to come and, you know, see what he's done and him to bring his supporters into that space. But what, what happens is like, there's, there's, you know, a certain budget allotted from, you know, whomever at the top or, you know, to say, this is what we're going to do. And this is what we want to see come from it. And they'll say, well, this story, for instance, like, someone you know running his first marathon needs to be something that we can spread out across all of these stores because we have you know 500 right. stores or 700 stores or whatever that is and instead of it becoming like instead of it being like a natural story of this is the experience this is the location this is you know all the people that came to support this is the people's lives that were touched along this journey it becomes more about well, we need to have, you know, the, the, the assets in store, the content that goes in store or that, you know, to have the picture on the wall or or whatnot. And, and you, you kind of miss the because a lot of the and a lot of the brands and retailers just are disconnected from localized stuff without it being very, very specific to like, you know, like. Nike and Adidas both do like run club. I think finish line, they used to do run club at Del Amo. I don't know if they still do, but they do that very like low level stuff. And that stuff is coming out of like a very small budget to say, go do this in this space where that story never translates across the bigger picture for anybody. And I think that's the big challenge with like working in retail for me was like getting things that, you know, the opportunities to do things that you can tell a story across a localized story that resonates across everything you don't really have the the chance to do that because a lot of times like the there's a disconnect between 
those those locations and the people that are saying, oh, well, this is the busiest store, you know? Yeah. But it would localize it more, right? Like, what if every store mm-hmm. had a person that was responsible for being a part of that community and creating that for them? And every store's was different. Like, they're trying to make it easy by telling one story across the entire brand. Well, I'm fed yep. up with that crap because it doesn't relate to me. You know, I don't want to hear about this super heroic athlete that is for all intents and purposes being paid millions of dollars when there's an astonishing young lady at the local high school that has overcome way more um, in terms of athleticism and sport and winning a national championship like that, that was still reach. I think, I think we're going to see a shift in it to shift back to that. Cause it's like the little mom and pop stores, right? Like, Mm-hmm. that I think people are wanting to support something that impacts and supporting a giant finish line or footlocker that's telling a story about a professional athlete that already makes millions of dollars. Like, eh, I've heard it 300 million times at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think that kind of like leads us into what we were talking about earlier, right? Like the, the nature of this direct direct to consumer model that has cut out a lot of these mom and pop places that were specifically sports you know like i think of like the 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 80s and the 90s were so beautiful for sneaker you know like consumers if you were like realize that like you go into a tennis store and this is you know like the debate of like sneakers versus tennis shoes but like go into a tennis store and like there's lebron's on the shelf you know, like sitting from 10 years ago, or there's Jordans that people picked up, you know, from the eighties in the mid nineties, because they just didn't sell. Cause people didn't realize like this tennis store is just a small localized sporting goods store that like, this is where the stories can, can actually resonate. And now we've, you know, the brands have kind of forced those, a majority of those stores out and everything has become this more lifestyle. So anything that's regionalized is, you know, like, uh, a very lifestyle-driven boutique. So you have the Kith, yeah. the Kith in New York, the Concepts in Boston, Undefeated in LA. You know, you used to have Huff in San Francisco, um, and and you know, like d- down the line, right? Like all of these localized places are less focused on sport. But I totally agree with you, Tiffany. I think that that's absolutely going to be something that shifts because it's missing, and it's yeah. it's. Yeah. It's so important to, you know, like me growing up, sports was so important to just understanding like how things work, how the world works, like learning to deal with people and learning to compete is such a fundamental value that I think even just as our society has gotten like kind of off track in the last, you know, however long, this is going to be something that will shift it. And it seems crazy to think that like a mom and pop shop opening a store in, you know, your neighborhood could change that, but it absolutely could. You can, you know, I think of like, um, uh, like corporate in Cincinnati is, uh, Matt opened that store 10 years ago now, and they've supported so many different, like, you know, um, athletes through, you know, different programs that they've been a part of and, and working in the community. And they have just this, like, just diehard fan base that, and and I think to, to even to the extent of like you have kids that were teenagers or, you know, whatnot going through and becoming professional athletes that are still supporting that store because it was such a local 
community driven thing and he wanted to do that for his community and i think that you're going to see a lot of shift in that to 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 become more about sport than about lifestyle and That's- hopefully you know at like it happens you know everywhere so that's awesome. I mean, take take some of these people that absolutely love basketball and everything about it. What if they had their own store where they sold basketball shoes and and I mean, they just lived, breathed the sport so well. Like, wouldn't you want to go to them to understand what product you need and what you need to learn? It's like golf, right? Like right now, you yep. can go to these golf shops and they have the pros in there that can teach you. They have all the equipment, all the gear. And sure, those brands are still telling larger stories and they still have bigger athletes, but it's not about them. It's about you playing right now and how we make you better. Like it's really yep, yep, pure. Yep. I mean, as much as golf is a trinket and expensive sport, it's kind of pure in its own. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And speaking of lifestyle trends, um, there is a trend that's kind of going through the footwear market and um, I am indifferent to it. Uh, no, I sh- that's, that's not right. <laughs> I don't like it. I was going to say indifferent. I was trying to be politically correct, but it's just not something that I, that I, that I, uh, that I, um, that I buy into. Uh, it's the dad shoe trend. Um, now some people really like it. Some people like me are against it. Um, it seems like it's on its way out. It had its moment in the light. Am I, um, am I wrong here that it's on its way out? And am I wrong for being happy that it's on its way out? I guess that those are the two questions I want to ask. Uh, you know, I don't have any children, so I'm not an expert, uh, <laughs> but I, I always liked, uh, I guess bulkier shoes. So, uh-huh. um, it's, I'm kind of indifferent to it. Like uh, the idea that, you know, um, you know, the Monarch is like the number one selling shoe, for Nike is just like kind of like normal to me. And I feel like, yeah, of course, like, you know, I, as a sneakerhead or whatever you want to call like sneaker enthusiast, like I absolutely, you know, love the stories and think the things that I'm interested in are important, but working in the business, like that's absolutely not the truth, right? Like we're such a small percentage of what um, really goes on. And I think that this, right. this kind of shift is like, it's not really a shift. It's, Yes, there's like, you know, kids wearing dad shoes to kind of rebel against the system. But like, you can't rebel against the system if we all drive Toyota Camrys and we all wear Gap clothes and we all wear Monarchs. You know, like you look just like 90% of the world at that point. So, um, right. but I will say that like, I, I do like the, the bigger shoes just, just in general, like personally, um, you know, Reebok questions and DMX runs and some of the nineties basketball shoes are like absolutely my favorite, you know, Nike basketball shoes for a long time, you know? Um, but I, I don't know that I think it's, I think it'll be very, very short lived. I, it's horrible guys. Come on. Let's be honest. (laughs) This is horrible. Like, like as a shoe engineer, innovator, like, Never once did they say make it bigger. Like, never once. Like, it's all about making it smaller. And these aren't performance shoes, but um, I think they're terrible. I mean, leave dads alone. Dads 
it, you know, <laughs> dads do a lot of good things. Um, and so stop picking on their shoes, first of all. Let them wear whatever they want and what feels comfortable to them. Like, first and foremost, comfortable shoes is important. It doesn't matter. It does matter what they look like. If my husband rolled in in a pair of these, I would laugh for weeks. Weeks. I mean, it would be the funniest thing ever that maybe I'll get him a pair because that would be funny. But, you know, like, I don't think the trend's gone. I think it's actually just ramping up, to be honest. I mean, I think it's here to stay for a while. Um, And the reason why I think that is because it removes a lot of the design limitations, right? When you're trying to make things so minimal and so low profile, you really constrain actual like design and shapes where here they can design these crazy outlandish shapes that are like really fun and they can play with color. So to me, I think it's a lot more playing for the designers. I'll bet you they're a lot more fun to design. Um, I imagine. And it really, you can really start to reinvent what they look like a lot more. You know, if you look at the last five years of performance shoes and just popular shoes, they all kind of look the same. I mean, look at the Ultra Boost versus um, the the Presto. I mean, if you look closely, they look almost identical. Like, there's subtleties. Like, so from a design engineering perspective, I'll bet they're fun to work on, but... um, I think the fact that they're a trend is completely crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I get, I get my issue. I, I guess my issue with them is that is the luxury take on them. I feel like luxury brands just like steal. I don't. It's still the right word. They they are they're inspired by. Definitely not. There there's a an impression that. Um, how do I say this? Uh, luxury brands are performing impressionist art of <laughs> street sneakers. I don't know if I'm saying any of that right. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I feel like luxury brands kind of steal from the sneaker world um, to create their own sneakers. And they 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 make excuses to make these big shoes. Like the dad shoe trend, I feel like kind of got kicked off by Balenciaga. Just really taking like a dad shoe and making it huge and big. And now people think that is the thing to do uh, because the luxury brand did it. When I just feel like the luxury brand was like, hey, the cool kids are wearing these shoes or people have been doing things, you know, like I feel like dad shoes became a bit of a parody for a while, especially the monarch, yeah. uh, just because of its its legendary status and luxury brands. I feel like luxury brands saw that and were like, oh, my God, the kids thinks that uh, I, I picked up an accent for some reason. there." Um <laughs> <laughs> the the, the, uh, the kids think that these shoes are cool not knowing that people were doing this in jest and making fun of the shoe and because they're so out of touch with like the street world or, the, or that the street wear world that they made these shoes and people were like oh my god now Balenciaga is making dad shoes everybody's got to make dad shoes now now the the market the sneaker market in the hype beast world they're making dad shoes because they think it's cool because the luxury brand did it it's like this this terrible terrible cycle 
Um, and I think that's why I'm, I'm most angry about it. I know I didn't very s- explain that very <laughs> well, and uh, a lot of people are going to be confused by what I just said. But the point is, luxury brands are taken from the street world, but now the street world are following the way of the luxury brands because luxury brands in the street world have kind of started to merge a little bit. And so everybody's trying to be honky-dory and happy with each other, and it's leading to a homogenized world. And viva la revolution. <laughs> All right. Um, Wait. Like, I just want to point out, you know who's worn big shoes like that for the eternity of their existence? Cartoon characters. (laughs) Ronald McDonald, Mickey Mouse, they all have giant shoes, right? So now that you see these women wearing them, like, with these beautiful dresses and wearing these dad shoes, like, are you a cartoon character? Like, what is is this? funny. That is very funny and an amazing observation. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to point that out. Uh, all right. Uh, real quickly, I uh, want to let you guys know this show is brought to you by Race Lasers, the competitive shoe lacing racing league of America. Uh, they have they are our sponsor. They've been great to this show. So if you haven't, make sure you follow them at Race Lasers, competitive shoe lacing racing league of America.com. They have all of their times, all of the locations. Uh, FYI, Velcro is not allowed uh also another sponsor we have which is socks for your socks they are our new sponsor for this show if you've ever had a problem sliding across the floor if you felt you needed something else if you felt you needed another layer if you wanted to step up your sock game if one pair of socks are you feeling that one pair of socks hasn't been enough for you i know society tells you that one pair of one pair of socks is all you need to wear at a time but They don't believe that at Socks for Your Socks. They believe two is the perfect mixture of cushioning, warmth, and fuzziness. So what we're going to ask you to do is visit SocksForYourSocks.com. They prevent holes. All right. Our last topic for the day is uh, since we're going to talk about dad shoes, let's step up the technology side of this thing to uh, 3D shoe tech. So this is something that's hot. It's new. Everyone's excited about it. I'm excited about it. Um, I would call myself an early adopter, uh, especially when it comes to technology. So when I see stuff like 3D printed shoes, I get super excited about it. I'm like, oh, that's super cool. But um, we're going to ask you, Tiffany, is uh, is it just cool? And is, is that it? Is there nothing more to it than being cool? Because that's what it seems like right now. Um. Well, they're early. It's very early in the technology. Um, I think they're super cool, and I think it's going to be... We're, we're going to see a ton of stuff come out of 3D printing. I mean, as long as the 3D printing materials continue to advance, like Adidas's midsole that they did, um, as long as those materials advance, you're going to start to see some really cool things because 3D printing can do things that other processes that typically are used in footwear making can't do. Um, it's the same thing for, for all kinds of components. Like, there, wasn't there a, um, a, was it a McLaren or a Bugatti just this weekend race car that actually has RP parts in it, printed parts? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it allows, it allows, A, more people access. It allows more geometry shapes, right? So you can create geometries that don't have to be pulled out of a mold and things. Plus, it a- allows customization, like... I don't think anything's been more exciting when those three things combine, like, like you're going to see so many cool things happen. Um, I think it's absolutely here to stay right now. They're just getting their feet wet with it. Just trying to make it learn about the process, put it out there to the consumer, let them get comfortable with it. Um, and I think it's going good so far, but I think the consumer's like, just like what you said, Jacques, like 
what do you who cares you know so I, I guess my question is like what like you say it can do things that the other things couldn't do like what like like what does that mean <laughs> i'm sorry i have to put my phone up my headphones just died oh no no worries <laughs> can you repeat that question uh, so, no, so I was saying like you, something you said uh, stuck out to me. You said it's able to do things that other things can't do. Like, what is that? What does that mean? So, yeah, so it's it's able to basically um, print. So it, it can. So if you're taking something, you're building something for a mold, it has to have draft on it. So the angles have to, or the sides have to be angled so it can come out of the mold. Think of a cup. And if you basically make it wider this is going to be a horrible example it's it would be easier to show you with a drawing but um you have to have it has to be able to come out right like if you stick something if you stick a square in a circle and you actually get it in there you can't get it back out right so the circle that you put in the circle has to be smaller in order for it to come out so with 3d printing because basically a laser in most cases comes over and melts material and it and wherever it touches it sticks to the material below it you can create any shape you want because there's no mold right there's nothing to have to get it in or out and so you just blow away the particles that are not melted and there's your shape so right there it can it can do that you can digitally change it constantly every single thing it prints you can change it you can just adjust the right. file boom you got something for somebody else right got it got it so it's more of like down the line it'll be just it'll be something for the consumer but it's just going to be a little it's just not there yet as far as finding out what exactly or how the best way to use this technology for the consumer right now it's at the very cool stage where it's like oh we can do all of these things now we just have to find which of these things or how these things are going to benefit the end consumer outside of saying oh this was 3d printed yeah i mean it, yeah that and the materials like the materials have to be durable enough and so if you're it's like putting legos together like if if you put a lego thing together and then you go to use it as a step ladder is not exactly going to work unless those materials are really really strong mm -hmm. so gotcha. it's like getting the materials to be durable enough um, and have the correct properties and then the design and then also you know the data that's feeding those things has to also be accurate to what the consumer wants so yeah. got it okay that makes sense that makes sense i mean, I mean i'm excited about it i don't i didn't want it to seem like i'm down on it or i'm negative about it i just i guess in, in my mind because i don't know all the things that it can do or how it can be properly used um i got i i I got to the point where I was like, "Hey, why am I, why am I excited about this? Just because they're." I mean, I'm definitely excited about printed? it though. Like, I is think that, that just in general too, like to, the other kind of down the road things that will come from it is, hopefully, like it, it should reduce like the cost of a lot of the things that you know that would normally be like some form of a mold, right? Where like mm. you know no. if it won't do that. No, 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 no. I mean, not in the near future. I mean, it's like, really expensive to have printers. The printer's really expensive, the material's expensive, gotcha. and then the printer to run fast enough to produce the same amount that that mold will make, like uh, that's what you have to balance. So I don't think cost uh, is gonna be interesting. super interesting. I mean, speed right now, I think is probably the bigger problem, but to your point, like if you're, say the three of us are gonna throw together and put a brand together, we would just need an RP printer. We wouldn't need to be machining molds or anything like that, and we could print as soon as we did the CAD, we could print it 
overnight practically and have our sample in the morning to prototype where if you have to wait for molds to be made you might be waiting weeks so this the speed Uh, to build a product and to test and innovate a product i think could be especially for small brands or new brands like that's where it's really going to be a big deal so you could in theory you could print new outsoles for your shoes or if you wanted to have a shoe in a shoe you just print your your exterior shoe, you know, or maybe socks, <laughs> or maybe socks. Your shoes or your socks. It just depends on what you want. Yeah. See, we're we're here to give the consumer what we what you want. You get what you want with three. You get that's going to be the new slogan for three D printing. We give you what you want. <laughs> anyway, as always, guys, we want to thank you for watching slash listening to the Outside the Box podcast. Uh, as always. Make sure you guys leave us comments. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, if we said something wrong, if you want to call us on something, or if you think that we're doing things right and you just want to compliment us and tell me how beautiful I look, I'm all for that as well. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> Don't do that. I, I, don't do that. Just, do it. Just, Definitely just leave do comments. It. Don't do, do, do it. Do it. <laughs> I am. I am, oh, see, you guys, are, you guys are wrong. Don't, don't encourage that. <laughs> I am Jacques Slade. Uh, you can find me at Cousteau everywhere on the internet, which is K-U-S-T. But again, this show would not be what it is uh, if it was just me. You guys probably wouldn't even be listening to this far into the show. Luckily, I have two very highly intelligent people on this show that really save this show every week. It really should be called the Nick and Tip show as opposed to <laughs> Outside the Box. Uh, but go ahead, Nick. Tell them where they can find uh, Nick Gangval, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L on all platforms. And um, yeah, I also run a site called Sneaker History at sneaker history on all platforms but i don't know if i uh agree with jack's uh decision to change the names and nick and tiff i think it's just tiff no it's it not <laughs> i already have that uh follow me at <laughs> tiffany beers t-i-f-f-a-n-y-b-e-e-r-s um at instagram and youtube i think that's it okay. Yeah, and uh, if you you go to Tiffany's uh, YouTube URL, it's actually Rumble Beers. I think Tiffany's part of a secret fighting society, and she's not telling us about it. But I'll just leave it at that. No, not pointing any fingers, and we're not judging. Here's the thing, Tiffany. We're not judging. We're okay with it. If that's what you do, like, we're we're okay. We're okay with that. I'm I'm perfectly fine with you being a part of a secret fight society. That's totally cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, as always, guys, we want to thank you for listening uh, to the Outside the Box podcast. You can find us on Google, Apple, uh, Stitcher, all of those places, SoundCloud. We appreciate you listening and watching, and we'll see you guys soon. Peace.